We're just really thankful to be able to be together on, on this day. And, and you know, it's interesting that the disciples like have questions for Jesus all the time. The number one question they ask was actually very self-absorbed and immature. The number one question the disciples always ask is, now who's going to be the greatest? Which, which one of it's just their, That is the most prominent question we have in the Gospels from the disciples. Sometimes there were questions that were more like just questions of desperation. Uh, where are you going? Like, you're leaving? it. Like, what? Sometimes they didn't ask the question. We don't know how often that is, but we do know in John 4, they walked up and they saw him drinking water at a well with a Samaritan woman. And it says the disciples all kind of murmured together, but no one dared ask him. And you can just see, they're like, did, did you see that? Yeah, ask him about it. I'm not, no, I'm not asking, you ask him. I'm not, I'm not touching this. I don't even want to know why. But there is one question that they ask uh, that's probably my favorite question. And it's one that will be our entry point today. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Because here's what happened with the disciples. They saw Jesus teach with authority and they saw him lead with humility, and these things are not what they're used to from rabbis and religious leaders. But what blew them away was they saw him pray with intensity and with intimacy. And so when Jesus answers, answers their question of teach us how to pray, he begins with two words, and we're just going to say them together. You ready? Here's what he said. Our Father. Our Father. And that's the entry point of what we want to want to think about and pray today is Jesus's relationship with the Father and the gospel and our relationship with God the Father and the gospel, particularly those who are fathers. Now, this is for anyone in here. It's going to be relevant to all of our lives. All of us in some way or another have a father, even if it's just a biological father we never met, if it's an adoptive father, if it's a foster father, if it, we have fathers. And many of you uh, serve in the role or live in the role of father. And some of you are in spiritual fathers. You mentor, you you guide, you shepherd, you speak into young men's lives and young couples' lives and children's lives. The idea of being a father and loving our children well is rooted in, its foundation is in, is loving God the Father well. Um, so on this Father's Day, what I want to spend time is, is reflecting on what does it mean to love God the Father well? And you're going to see from this, first of all, it is the the foundation and the focus of Jesus' life. Uh, it is the subject and object of his uh, will to serve and to live and to lead. And for us as men and women, understanding our God as Father has everything to do with how we live, and for those of us who are fathers, everything with how we father. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet was one of the most valuable assets in our society. It's so essential to have good moms and grandparents and teachers and coaches. But it seems like the role of father is, is the tough one in terms of finding consistent, godly examples, whether it's in Scripture or in the culture that we live in. Being a father, as I texted about 10 young men that I, I invest in and mentor this morning, is the most crucial riskiest, um, toughest thing that I do, and I wanted to just thank them for continuing to show up and show up. Think about the emotions I have as a father, deep joy, sometimes I feel just a deep joy in being a father, anger, sometimes I experience anger as a father, a sense of just kind of a, a contentment, satisfaction, 
and sometimes just grief. Sometimes just grief. And that was just yesterday, by the way. That was yesterday when I felt that. Um, Being a father carries a lot with it. And so today, as you celebrate Father's Day, as you think about Father's Day, think about this. This is from Psychology Today. Even from birth, children who have an involved father are more likely to be emotionally secure, be confident to explore their surroundings, and as they grow older, have better social connections. But our culture doesn't help much with these kinds of fathers, Homer and Phil, and the absent fathers often in our movies. If if anything, our fathers in our media often showed as immature, incompetent, unhelpful. And even when the culture does try to help, they somehow seem to miss it. I don't know if you can see what this says. It says, this is not a dad bod, this is a father figure, all right? Which is kind of a humorous way to do that, right? It's not a dad bod, it's a father figure. That's kind of the hot t-shirt this Father's Day. But is anything wrong with this picture? That's a 19-year-old male model. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is not a father, that is... That is not a dad bod. That's not a father figure. That's a young man who's really, really handsome showing up in that shirt. We just don't know what to do with fathers, but the Scripture does. And so now we turn our attention to what the Scriptures say. We're going to go to the book of John here in a moment. Before I do, let me just read you some Scriptures. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Whatever father you had or did not have today, you can know that your Father God crafted who you are. You are a work of his glory in his hands. Zephaniah 3.17 tells us about how God promises to be in our lives as we come to him. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will serve. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And in the New Testament, these words, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Just sit with those words for a moment. The Lord we just sang about, this, this God we just declared of what, who we believe He is and that He is, is over all things, the waves and the winds and our lives and everything. God is over all things and He chooses for us to be His sons and His daughters, to be fathers in our lives, to make it possible for us to pray the prayer Jesus taught His disciples. Our Father, my Father. Romans 8, 14 and 15, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a word of intimacy. This is a word of affection. This is a word of closeness. This is a word of endearment. This is this, and this is what blows the disciples away. We hear our Father, and we're so familiar with that if we've been in church. But for the disciples, they'd never heard anything like this. They could conceive of a God on a mountain. They could conceive of a God handing down the law. They could conceive of a God whose wrath had to be appeased. They could conceive of a God who maybe someday, one day, might make things right. What they could not conceive of is the proximity and the passion and the intimacy of a relationship with God the Father. And yet, for all that, to be honest with you, and all that tenderness, and all, I find it not easy to love God. That's probably not what you're supposed to say on Sunday morning from the front, right? But I don't find it easy to love God. I find it wonderful I've got to grow and learn. It is a long journey for me to love God. 
And to use those pictures I used before just to show emotions, there's times when I have joy with God, times I have anger with God, contentment with God, and grief with God the Father. It is the most important relationship we have is our love for God the Father and how will we make our way to it. If it is true, if it is true that Jesus wants us to talk to God himself as our Father, if it is true the Spirit has been given us to have intimacy with our Father, how do you do that? And what does that look like? And now I'm going to narrow down for just a moment. Men, this is not going to come natural to many of us. Many of us have not been in families where being emotionally connected was a high value or modeled or taught. Many of us me, are very independent. And some of our masculine identity is tied into our not needing someone. As someone who spoke into my life recently said to me, Rick, your biggest problem is not uh, that you try to do everything by yourself. Your biggest problem is you believe that's how you're supposed to do things. I do not naturally wake up in the morning and say, oh man, I can't wait to connect with my father. I naturally wake up in the morning with, here's the things I need to do, here's what I get accomplished, here's what I do, and oh God, by the way, would you please bless that? And you may say, how did he get to be the preacher? That's a great question. Like, if you, if you can answer that one for me, that would be outstanding. But I sense I'm probably not alone. And it's not just a male problem, but I think it's epidemic in the male culture. Partly because of the culture, partly because of just... We're so afraid we're not enough. We're just so afraid we're not enough. And it's so hard to believe that it's just enough to be his son. But it is. And Jesus knew that. Jesus says, if you want to turn your Bible now, we're going to hit some passages in John. I don't have one passage I'm going to be in, so we'll be in several places. Jesus says in John chapter 14, you'll remember in verse 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's, you will not get from here to the Father except through me. Now, that's a declaration of the exclusivity of the gospel. It's a declaration of the, the uniqueness of who Jesus is. It's a, de- it's a declaration of there is one way to, G- to the Father, but it's also a, a, a expression of um, a exposure of the fact that Jesus is with the Father and that's how we get to him. He says in John 14, 31, listen to this, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Just sit with that for a moment. Jesus, who is perfect in his obedience, Jesus who, as we'll see, has to wrestle and struggle emotionally and personally in the same ways we do, and yet, as Hebrews says, it's without sin, the perfect spotless sacrifice. Jesus says, I'm doing all these things, and here's what I want more than I want the world to know, I love the Father. So let's just undermine uh, and blow up one of the great American Christian religion myths. Jesus died for our sins primarily because of his love for us. Wait, 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 wait. I thought that was it. That's what I've been told my whole life. Jesus died because he loved me. Yes. Jesus died because he, he wanted me to come to him and he wanted to have a relationship. 
all true, but it's not the driving force of Jesus' life. The biblical spiritual truth is Jesus died for our sins primarily because of his love for the Father. The priority in Jesus' life, and I encourage you to read the Gospels through this lens, the priority of Jesus' life is not to come to you to get you to come to him. The priority in his life is on behalf of the Father to come to you to bring you to his relationship with the Father. If you read John 17, and John says the most about our relationship with the Father and with Jesus and Jesus' relationship with the Father, but if you read it, and you read it through the lens of what's happening, what Jesus is doing is saying, Father, we're gonna, I'm finishing this for you. I'm finishing this with you so that they can be with us. So let's just read a couple of verses from that. John chapter 17, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. We're going to read John 21 through 26. John chapter 17, verse 21. He says, Father, that they may know, may all be one, talking about those who will come to know him, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's the language again. So that others might know I have come from you. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This, Father, this is all about you. And what I want for them is to be all about you like me. I want them to join me in this relationship you have that we have together. He goes on, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with you, be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus's priority. This is what Jesus wants. He's asking us to join relationship with him and with his father. And it's fascinating when Jesus is trying to to explain who his father is. There's so many things he does, but one of the most powerful passages is Luke chapter 15, where he says this, imagine that someone had like a hundred sheep and one straight away. My fa- Let me tell you what my father's like. He'll go find that one. He'll go find that one. Which is all of our story. He found us. He found us. I once was lost, but now I am found. And then he tells the story of a woman. She's got this coin, and, and it's so central to her life, and it's so important for her family, and it's so it's necessary and so essential. And he... And, The woman goes and she searches and searches and searches till she finds it because it is the most valuable thing she owns. Jesus said, my father is like that. He values you so much. He longs for you to be in relationship with him. And I have come to fulfill that longing, that connection. Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal is one of the, I think, one of the most powerful pieces of art uh, ever created by humanity. Some of you may be familiar with it. Here's a picture of it. The father, whose son just completely trashes their relationship. Completely, it's, it's it, as if 
I I just want you dead to me, Dad. Just give me my stuff. Just give me my stuff and let me go. I don't want to be in relationship with you. I don't want to be in relationship with my brother. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Just let me go. And he goes away and he squanders everything and he comes back and he's begging. He's just begging his father, would you just let me be a... I'd rather be your servant, your slave. I'd get more out of that than living without you. I just, just let me back in. I'll do whatever you... I'll do the worst, the lowest of jobs. And the passage that we see the prodigal, the father is watching and waiting and looking and the father runs. And the reason the father runs is because this son has caused so much shame on himself and his family that when he comes back into the town, when he walks through the gates of that town and he walks down the streets of that town, he's going to be screamed at and derided and yelled at and foul things are going to be thrown at him and said to him like someone being led to an execution that the whole community hates as this awful person. No one could imagine such shame. And the father runs to him before he gets there and puts the ring on his finger, signifying that he belongs to his father. He puts shoes on his feet because only slaves go barefoot. Those who belong to the household would wear shoes. They would wear sandals. And he gets, he says, get the best robe and put it on him. And I love how Rembrandt shows this because you see the prodigal son just melting into the father. Just like sobbing and weeping with such gratitude. This is the Abba Father. This is the affection. This is the relationship. This is what Jesus is trying to say. This is my Father. And I want you to know Him. And I'm the only way you're going to get to Him. And that's why I'm doing this. For that reason. And I will say this to you, men and women. If you've been in church your whole life and you have never fallen into His lap sobbing, I'm not saying that you're not a follower of Jesus. That's a, that's a gift of the Spirit. I'm saying you're missing a whole lot of your Father. If you're like me and you're prone to the independent lifestyle of I got this, I got this, I'll take care of this, I'll do this, God, will you please bless it? Is there something else you want me to do? Because I'll do whatever you want me to. And he keeps saying, yeah, there is something else I want, Rick. I want you. I want you. I'm like, ah, can we renegotiate that just a little bit? No, I want you. And if you find yourself, like me at times, resistant to that and uncertain what to do with that, that's what I'm trying to offer you today is to begin to pray, Lord, bring me into that kind of relationship with my father because I will tell you, dads, what your children need more than your love is your love from the father offered to them through your love showing up with the Father in all the joy and sorrow and weakness and all just showing up, but showing up with Him. And so let's look for just a moment at what the love uh, for God the Father, what that looked like in Jesus. And I'm going to give you three words today to kind of sit with and think about and pray about, and we've already sang about them, so they shouldn't be that hard. The first one is conviction. If you remember, we sang the song, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son. Conviction is our belief, it's our knowledge of. And Jesus' love for the Father is rooted in a deep conviction that He's God and He's good. God the Father is God, Almighty, and He's good. He can be trusted. So when your children pray at the meal, God is great, God is good, that's actually the, that's a PhD in theology right there. 
You get those two things, you're going to go a long ways. In Matthew, Jesus is tempted by Satan three times. He says, first of all, I know you're hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days. Take these stones and turn them into bread and, and, just, and just show you, you got it going on, Jesus. You, you, can, you can meet your needs, and the Father is not meeting your needs right now very well, is he? So why don't you just take this, these stones and turn them into bread? And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' response to Satan's temptation to meet his needs apart from the Father is everything that comes from him is what I need and I don't need anything else. And this is what he says and this is true because he is good and he is God and if he says it, it is true. And then Satan was like, okay, well look, show every, like it says that, it says right there, you're, you're talking about the written word? Hey, there's this one part where it says that if you, if you fall down, he'll command his angels to pick you up and to carry you. And he said, so he takes him to the top of the temple, jump off and watch the angels carry and show that you have the power. Show that, that God, all that power is really about you. And Jesus said to him, and again it is written, we shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus' response is the same. That's not what my father said. You're twisting it. You're trying to make it about me. You're trying to make it about something it's not. This is about the father, and we do not test the father. I, I do not test the father. I obey the father. I am faithful to the father. And Satan takes his last swipe, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all the luxury and all the wealth and everything, that, everything you could imagine that a, that a person would ever want. He says, if you'll just bow down to me, Jesus, I'll give you all of this. He tells him to get away. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What Jesus is saying through all this is, I trust my dad. He said these things, they're true. He's good. And he's God. And nothing ever can replace him. Nothing ever can substitute for him. Nothing ever can come close to what I have with him, no matter what I could gain from this world or prove. Now, I don't have time to do this, but if you want to explore this a little bit, this is a redemptive story in so many ways because the three temptations that Jesus deal with are the same temptations as Genesis chapter 3. And you remember how Satan tricked Eve and Adam. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. No, you're this is really about you. Don't make this about him. Make this is about you. Which is how Satan tempts us. Or if you want to go to 1 John chapter 2, you'll see these same three temptations outlined as the things that we deal with every day. And so, if we are, if I am to love God the Father, have the fullness of His love in my life, I'm going to really offer that to my children, to the people I lead, to the people I serve. I'm going to offer that. I'm going to have to keep coming back to, coming back to, and coming back to the truth. It's why we teach God's Word. It's why we have Bible studies. It's why we talk about being in the Word. It's why we encourage and found, found everything is grounded in truth in what we do because we must believe this to be true or we cannot enjoy the fullness of relationship. And we all have doubts. We all have doubts. We all have a place that's very hard for us to trust that God is really good and knows what He's talking about. And that's the very place the enemy's going to come after you. It might be your money might be your children, might be your reputation, it might be your 
your image you portray religiously. It might be uh, your, your, your job. Stay, may, there's all kinds of things it could be, but we all have that place where we really wonder if we really, really surrender that to God, is he really going to be good? And is, can I trust him? And the answer is this, in the hands of a sovereign God who loves you with such affection that you can call him Abba, he's better than all that. He is good and he is God. There's another place that Jesus, we find in Jesus' love for the Father, and that's his affection. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to John chapter 10, because it's not just a conviction of truth, it's an affection, it's an experience. We sang about that earlier, it is well with my soul. It goes much deeper than just knowledge, it's in our depths of what we experience and what we know and feel. John 10, 14 through 15, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said, what I'm doing is like him. And he knows you. He knows you. He knows where you're strong. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you need to be protected. He knows where you need to be provided for. That's what shepherds do. And God so designed the world that we live in to reflect him that a father brings security and identity. There's, I could go through I can go through scripture, I can go through personal experience, and I can go through all the psychological literature and demonstrate to you over and over again the two things that we get most from our fathers is a sense of security and a sense of identity. And Jesus says, you are secure. My father's got you. And your identity is your, he's your shepherd. And in John 10.35, Jesus says, I and the father, but it's implied in the Greek, I and my father are one. This relationship that I'm offering to you, this is relationship with him. This intimacy you see with him, you can have that through me. You can grow in your affection for God the Father through your relationship with Jesus. But it's going to take time and it's going to take experience because our affections are very inconsistent. I've been married 36 years. I promise you, our affections are very inconsistent. I love my wife always. I don't feel it all the time. And she will say to me, just a reminder, I love you, but I do not like you right now. And it's true. It's okay if you don't like your children sometimes. Oh, I can't say that. No, it really is. Because sometimes they don't like you at all usually from about 13 to 21. They don't like you very much, right? If they do like you at that age, then celebrate the gift of grace. Sometimes they just don't. They don't mean you don't love. And so here's the amazing thing. If you have conviction, all right, so if you have affection without conviction, you're just going to be all over the map. One day, I just love God. I love Jesus. The next day, I don't know if I know him. I don't know. Your affections and emotions cannot be the drivers. But if you have conviction and do not develop your affections, then you're going to have a very dry and dull and distant kind of relationship with God. And you were never intended for that. I am 58 years old. I have been following Jesus since I was 11. That is 47 years. Years And some of you in here, particularly if you're under 20, you're like, oh my gosh, is that like, is that considered like a whole eon? Is that like a dinosaur age? What is that? 47 years. And here I am, probably this year, learning more about my affection for God the Father than at any point in my life. By coming to terms with some places where I've kept Him distant. And I can't manufacture that. 
If you say, well, I'm going to learn, to, I'm going to have deeper affection for God. So I'm going to go to a conference and I'm going to listen to a speaker and I'm going to sing more worship songs. Those can be a wonderful things. But if you're going to develop your affection for him, you're going to have to spend time with him. And you can't do your way there. And to men, I say, you can't do your way to affection. It's about being present. I'll talk about that more in a moment. And then finally, submission. Submission. And just as to have affection without conviction will lead to a shallow, inconsistent kind of roller coaster experience of your love for God, and conviction without that affection will lead to kind of this staid, stoic kind of submission without conviction and affection will lead to religious legalism and rules and getting, trying to get things right and do things right and earn God's love. You're never meant to ever think about earning God's love. It's, it, it is the, one of the least biblical things you can imagine that you're going to be good enough to be loved by God. It's grace. It's grace. But there's a reason Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Because if your conviction is strong and your affection is strong, you'll submit. And sometimes we just have to submit even when the affection and the conviction aren't as strong, because we just have to act in love for him. Not to earn his, his love, but in love for him. Jesus says in John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the, the, the rub, isn't it? I can, I, let me memorize some verses. Let me raise my hands in worship. Let me feel lots of things. But submit... Can you just give me a few rules that if I follow them, I'll feel pretty good about myself without that whole submission thing? Submission is where we get exposed in our hearts. It's where I get exposed for the fact there's a limit to how much I love him. There's a limit to how much I love him. There was no limit to how much Jesus loves him, loved him. Matthew 26, 38 and 39, then he said to them, my soul, says to his disciples, this is in, as he's... Um, praying before he's crucified. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me, which they could not do because they weren't, didn't love him that much yet. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' submission to the Father. Your will, not mine. The thing I've learned about that submission is that when God is calling me to submit, it's not to power over me or punish me or prove something. He might be disciplining me in a healthy, loving way. He's after my heart. He's after my heart. He wants my submission so he can have my heart. And this is the picture of Jesus' love for the Father. Conviction and affection and submission. And the only way I know how the only way I know how to love God in that way is to ask for Jesus to help me. Hebrews says he's a mediator. He's the one they're praying for us. He's, he's, it's a throne of grace. We don't ever have to worry about coming in to see him because, because he's there, but he's always drawing us to the Father. It's because of his love for the Father, which comes from the Father's love for his Son. And this is the last thing I want you to understand. And, and we're, then we're just going to worship him. Because he's so good. He's such a good father. But we're going to ask Jesus to lead us to that worship. We're not going to try to do it in our own flesh. We're not going to try to be good religious southern Christian people who, who want to love God. We want to 
Go to Jesus and say, I want to love him more and you can teach me how to do that. Your spirit can show me how to do that. You can draw me there because there's a part of me that resists this because if I really love him as God, I have to let go of some of the places I'm trying to be God. That's not natural for me. Jesus said in John 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John 5.20, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. This is Jesus is operating off of this mindset. The Father loves me. The Father loves me. The Father loves me. The Father loves me. I'm convinced of this. It deepens my affection and love for Him, and I want to submit and follow Him. The Father loves me. And John, who's written all this stuff down, who's had so many verses about Jesus' love for the Father, the Father's love for the Son, writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. He, we love because He first loved us. One of my hobbies is writing. And I write lots of words, and some of them probably aren't that helpful. And some of them are okay, but they're every now and then you string a few words together that you just love. That you just like, that's right. Six words. One hyphenated, so five. Only the well-loved loved well. Only the well-loved loved well. So the, the key to loving your father more is to engage more of his love for you. We are responders. We are not the initiators or creators of love for the father. He is the initiator. He is the creator. And so deepening my love for the Father means drawing breath from His Word. The Word of God is said to be God-breathed. It's His breath. It's drawing that breath from Him and deepening in my conviction. Deepening my love for my Father is being present with His Spirit. It means sitting sometimes quietly away from that cell phone and away from the TV and away from every demand. And when you're not own and you're not having something to do and you're sitting there and you're just waiting and saying, even if you don't speak to me in a way I can hear, I'm going to be here with you because I believe you're pursuing me. And meditating and reminding yourself and reading of the scriptures of how much he loves you, how he sings over you, how he is so intimately concerned about you. And then serving with and as Christ's body, we don't do that to be legalistic or to make things Uh, make ourselves look good. We do that because we know that our acts of humble submission are the things that teach us how he loves us. When we love with his love, we learn more of his love. And this is Jesus's way. St. Clair of Assisi said this, we become what we love. I'm going to rephrase that. I think that's good, but I'm going to rephrase it around how I believe the gospel reads. We become Whose love captures our hearts? We become the love that captures our hearts. And the only way I have 47 years into this have ever found to love the Father more is to join Jesus in being loved by the Father and having Jesus teach me how to love Him. And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you have a Today, Father's Day is this incredible opportunity for you to to express on Facebook or through a card or a call just what a wonderful father you have or had. Just remember, just a glimpse of the father who loves you. And if the opposite is true or somewhere in the middle, you're like, eh, Father's Day is just painful. It's just hard. Don't project that onto him. Bring that to him. Let him love you in that place. And if you as a father... 
If Father's Day is a hard day for you, it's a good day to be loved more by Him. It's a good day to focus on because the best gift you can give to your children is to be loved well by your Father so that you can love them well so that they can learn that this is who the Father is. So much greater than we are. So much more. And so the worship team's going to lead us in this song and I just want to read the lyrics, pray over them, and then we'll close with that. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Do you hear the security and the identity there? This is who I am, loved by my father. By His grace. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only You provide because You know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good Father. It's who You are. It's who You are. It's who You are, God. And I'm loved by You. I mean loved by You. Sacrificed for pursued, lavished with affection, called and opened my heart exposed for my need for you. That's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's my identity. And that's my security. Well loved by God Almighty, my Father. Will you stand with me as I pray and then we'll close in song. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to reveal the Father. Thank you for inviting us to know and love the Father. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of the relationship with the Father. Father God, thank you for your pursuit. Thank you for searching me out. Thank you that you continue to search out my heart. You continue to pursue. You continue to, to, to press into the places where I just don't love you well. And not to demand that I love you more, but to offer grace and love me more, and then command. Because the command to love is a response to your love. I confess, Lord Jesus, I confess, Father, I confess, Holy Spirit, I just don't listen sometimes. Quite honestly, I just don't want to. I just want to get about my business and do my thing and have control of it. I want to prove I'm, I'm strong. I want to prove I'm um, capable. I want, to, I want to impress people. I want to have it going on. And thank you for your patience. Thank you for your pursuit. And God, would you give me the grace and all of us the grace, men and women, all ages, would you give us the grace to just fold into your arms, maybe sob in your lap, soak up the tenderness, soak up the the affection, soak up the conviction, and soak up the call to obedience, not as a as a list of things to get done to earn your love, but as an invitation to know more of how you love and how we can love like you. You're a good, good father. It's just who you are, and we thank you.